1: Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there, and welcome to the podcast. This is Kristen, and this is Molly. So, Molly, this week marked the 15th anniversary of the Violence Against Women Act. Which was passed in 1994 and it formally recognized domestic abuse as criminal behavior. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is really landmark legislation for uh, women and men um, in the United States because while we might not think of domestic abuse as something that we talk about a lot, uh, we might not think of it as something that would ever happen to us. But the fact of the matter is, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, 1.5 million women are raped or assaulted annually by a spouse or intimate partner. Mm-hmm. and one-third of female homicides are perpetrated by an intimate partner. Those are some depressing statistics, Kristen.
0: Yeah, they're I very mean,
1: startling. It's
0: it's it's sort of a... It's an awful problem, but I think what really makes it perhaps more awful is the fact that it's not talked about. Mm-hmm. And then if it is talked about, people are like, why do I need to hear this? This is very Debbie Downer. Why should we talk about violence against women? Today, we're going to focus specifically on dating violence. Mm-hmm. You know, we see... A lot of things about women who are married and abused by their husbands or not as much about husbands who are abused by their wives, but that happens as well. But we know we have a lot of young listeners out there, and it seems like it's a real problem that these young kids don't know when violence in a relationship takes place. Right,
1: and obviously the the case to point back to is the now very famous incident between Rihanna and Chris Brown that really got a national conversation going about dating violence and especially teen dating violence Mm -hmm. and how it all gets started. So to start, I think that we should just throw out a definition of what exactly Dating violence is. And dating violence is the occurrence of physically, sexually, and or psychologically violent episodes in the intimate interpersonal relationship. And I think it's important to recognize that it is uh, a threefold uh, definition because when we hear violence, we just think about someone slapping you or hitting you. But there are all these different layers to Dating violence that can occur, that can make it hard to recognize.
0: Right. So I found this stuff from the APA that kind of breaks down what something just like psychological abuse means. So mm-hmm. here are some examples of things that are considered dating violence. Name calling, insults, public humiliation, yelling, threats, put downs, telling a person's secrets, jealousy, possessiveness, isolating a person from friends and family destroying gifts, clothing, letters, damaging a car, home, or other prized possessions. Uh, those are the things I think that we really don't think about that often. We might just assume that they're normal behavior. These are the things we probably think about. Slapping, hitting, shoving, grabbing, hair pulling, biting, throwing objects at a person, um, insisting physically or verbally that a person who said no have sex anyway, forcing sex, and then um, abuse of privilege also. So one person in the couple makes all the decisions. Uh, like, and a guy, this is an example from the APA, the guy expects his girlfriend to wait on and pamper him, or a guy makes his girlfriend, treats his girlfriend as if she is a property he owns. Mm-hmm. Which, that can happen, you know, either party in any, in, a, in any relationship can do that.
1: Right. And as we'll talk about later in the podcast, all of these behaviors feed into what's called the cycle of violence. But Molly, let's, um, let's talk about, How prevalent dating violence is, because to me, this was one of the most shocking findings from our research, because according to the CDC's 2007 Youth Risk Behavior Survey, 9.9 percent of teen respondents answered yes to the question during the past year. Did your boyfriend or girlfriend ever hit, slap or physically hurt you on purpose? And that's just physical abuse. Like
0: that's what we're saying is the easiest to recognize. Right. But the number just jumps if people are asked whether they have been called a name or insulted or just made to feel humiliated, right?
1: Yeah, according to safeuse.org, first of all, it is difficult to, to say how common dating violence is because different surveys are going to pinpoint different types of abuse, but they say that past estimates of physical and sexual dating violence among high school, high school students typically ranges between 10 and 25%, and then estimates for college students go up to between 20 and 30%, and then once they uh, take into account verbal threats, and emotional abuse, those estimates go up even higher. So yeah. this is a very prevalent problem. That it we're might not
0: talking it might be about. as high as 57% according to um pediatric nursing, a study that was published there. So I mean it, it depends how you ask the question. It depends what you are viewing as abuse. Um, I think the number to stick with probably that is most pinpointable is this 9%. But I think why one of the reasons we've decided it's important to talk about dating violence is because of these other things that aren't as easily noticeable.
1: Yeah, uh, this article that we found in the Journal of Pediatric Nursing pointed out that especially with teens, they have a difficulty discriminating between what is actually abuse and what's just kidding around or just a show of affection. You know, because when you're in, think about it on the playground, you know, when you liked a boy, you would push him down. Yeah. You know, like, kind of silly things like that. And you have raging hormones going on, maybe you know, you are misinterpreting behaviors. And I think for teens especially, they also aren't expecting to ever be in an abusive relationship. So it can be very hard for them to spot.
0: Right. So what's interesting to me about this um, article that you cited, Kristen, is that boys and girls have very different viewpoints on what is abuse and how each gender uh, perpetrates abuse. Because we do have sort of the stereotype that women are the victims and men are the abusers. But, you know, it's just as easy for the tables to be flipped. But, Men and women or, you know, young teens inflict this abuse in different ways. It's more likely that women are trying to exert control over the male in terms of, you know, maybe cutting them off from friends, um, being very jealous, you know, going through a cell phone or something like that. And they might that might also involve more minor physical violence. Yeah, mind games. I mean, you know, that's the old thing is that girls are always good at that. So how can you determine between when a girl is just being controlling and when it's abuse? But males were more likely to
1: use this physical violence as a way to punish a woman for something she had done. And while abuse can be mutual and is mutual in a number of relationships and especially in uh, teen dating violence scenarios, uh, there is a difference in um, the type of abuse that girls and guys give? Because like you said, the, the stuff that girls are doing is more uh, minor physical violence and more of the mind games, as you said. Whereas with boys, um, they're a lot more likely to use severe physical violence and actually terrorize the girls. So while there is abuse going on on both sides of the spectrum, um, it is usually more severe on um, on the girl side when she is the victim.
0: So dating violence um, is sort of a new thing in terms of being studied because, you know, we we typically just think more about, because, um, you know, it's it's such a private thing. Right now, uh, researchers think that it starts around the 10th grade. It may start becoming, you know, lower and lower in terms of grade level as girls get involved in relationships earlier. You know, we've talked about how girls are maturing much faster these days, so that might involve getting into your first romantic relationship at a really young age. Um, and you don't have sort of that background in relationships to let you know what's right and what's wrong. And I think, you know, it's important to say that, uh, abuse can happen to anyone, regardless of where you live, your background, your beliefs, anything like that. But there are a few risk factors for um, abusive
1: relationships. Yeah, certain behaviors, Molly, that um, are more associated with dating violence include um, high-risk behaviors such as smoking, unsafe unsafe sex, gang membership, low academic achievement, access to weapons, and alcohol abuse. And there are also certain perpetrator personality traits um, that are shared among abusers um, such as uh, expressing feelings of betrayal, jealousy, insecurity, hostility, and a correlation to earlier victimization in life, like when uh, the Chris Brown-Rihanna case came out, One of the first things that people started talking about was the fact that one of Chris Brown's mom's ex-boyfriends was abusive toward her. And in the Larry King Live interview that he gave, they kind of talked a little bit about that. And he talked about being able to um, not necessarily being abused directly by the boyfriend, but being able to hear his mom um, being beaten up by the boyfriend and how traumatic that was and how that probably fed into a cycle of abuse later on in life. Mm-hmm. And speaking of teen male abusers, um, there was one LA Times blog post that I ran across that was pointing to um, a study in the American Journal of Men's Health that was looking into the lives of violent boys because a lot of times this research about dating violence and domestic violence is usually focused on the women because it's generally assumed that the women are going to be the victims which our statistics are showing is not necessarily the case. But um, this study, uh, looking into kind of the home lives of these, these boys who uh, were displaying violent tendencies, um, found a correlation between that and problematic home environments, inadequate support at school, um, community contexts characterized by violence and peer interactions that encourage sexual maltreatment of girls. So it's problems starting on so many different levels. And the at home, in the community, at school, all these different factors going into um, erupting into a, a violent relationship.
0: Yeah, the Journal of Pediatric Nursing points out that while, you know, many of these abusers have this history, it's more the fact that uh, this violence as a means of controlling your significant other is accepted by your peers. If a guy is trying to, you know, get along with his buddies and his girl is doing something that embarrasses him, It seems like a lot of it, you know, how he's going to deal with it depends on what his friends think is acceptable. Mm -hmm.
1: And I think it's also important to point out um, when we're talking about dating violence is that while it's often framed in terms of guy-girl relationships, uh, SafeYouth.org points out that this also happens in teen homosexual relationships and transgender relationships, especially, um, when the relationship is more covert and the abuser might be able to exert a little more control over that person because they don't want to be out in the public and right. have them know what's going on. And it might be harder for these people to get help because already
0: they are not, they're outside of a, a norm in their school environment.
1: Mm-hmm. So Molly, once the cycle of abuse has started, it can have obviously behavioral effects on the person who is being abused. For instance, um, adolescent girls who report abuse, um, abuse from dating partners have been found to have elevated risk of engaging in risky sexual behaviors, the use of alcohol, tobacco, and cocaine, um, unhealthy weight control. There's a big correlation between abuse and eating disorders and also, um, early pregnancy.
0: Mm-hmm. Which is, we'll talk about this later, but it only makes it harder to get yourself out of a situation with an abuser if then you find yourself pregnant with
1: an abuser's baby. Yeah, because in adult relationships, pregnancy is one of the main triggers for abuse to start happening, which right. is pretty disturbing. Um, so let's talk about uh, once this uh, the abuse starts, how this cycle of violence uh, perpetuates this pattern. So I think this cycle of violence takes into account
0: the fact that that both people recognize that some sort of line has been crossed. You know, you slap someone, you're like, oh, shouldn't have done that. And then you go into a cycle of guilt where, you know, you're worried about you're going to get caught. You're worried the person's going to leave you and the person's going to do what they can to regain control, act like nothing's happened, you might have a nice little honeymoon period where, you know, they try and make it up to you and you might think everything is fine.
1: But then after that phase of normal behavior, when uh, the, the abuser and the victim are kind of back in their, their regular routine and, and the victim is feeling better about things. Then there's a uh, phase called fantasy where the abuser will start to fantasize again about, um, abusing, either hitting or slapping or, um, sexually abusing, um, the partner. And, um, then there will be some kind of setup in which, um, either, let's say someone he sees, like, a text from, it's a guy-girl relationship, and the guy sees a text on his girlfriend's phone from a guy friend of hers. No, nothing, no hanky-panky going on, but he sees a text, and he goes into some jealous rage and blames her for leading this guy on, setting her up for um, the situation where he then gets violent again. And so the abuse happens, and then the guilt happens, and then once again we're back into the excuses and the normative period where... Um, you know, he calms her down and everything is fine. And it, uh, it's also often preceded by a period of psychological abuse where the girl is usually, her self-confidence is, is battered and, you know, she takes on this victim mentality that, you know, she does deserve the treatment that she's getting. And I'm using he, she, and obviously this pronouns can be switched around depending on whatever kind of relationship we're talking about.
0: But I think it's important that, um, for a lot of that cycle, as you point out, there's this fantasy stage where it's just sort of in one person's head, which is why it might, if you're in that situation, seem so hard to fathom that you're in an abusive relationship because it happens. And then the guilt, fantasy, et cetera, is sort of on the other person's head and you think everything's fine. It was out of the ordinary. It was just a one time thing. And um then when it happens again, it, it's it's almost like it's destroying your self-confidence
1: because it seems so out of the ordinary. Right, because dating violence usually doesn't happen after, you know, like a few weeks of dating. It's something where people have been in an established relationship, and it would seem like out of the ordinary behavior for someone to lash out like that. So like you said, they could you know just think that it's going to be a one-time thing. And Molly, really, I think that this is a good time to bring up um, an email that we received, which is one of the main reasons why we're even doing this podcast, and that kind of... Um, illustrates uh, this dating violence uh, teen dating violence today we got it from a girl who was very concerned she's in the 10th grade which mm-hmm. as we said is the the grade when this type of stuff usually starts to happen and um, she was very concerned because she saw another girl in the 10th grade and with her um, with her boyfriend who was a junior in high school she doesn't know them very well but they're an established couple they're a really cute couple at school and It made her very uncomfortable because she uh, saw him yelling at her in the hall and grabbing her around the neck when she tried to pull away. And he was demanding to see her phone to look through her text messages. She said he pulled it right out of her pocket while holding her still and pushed her away against the wall. And then he yelled at her about who she was texting, but then the bell rang and everyone left for class. And she felt terrible because she saw this, obviously, abusive scenario with this couple who has been going out for a while, so everyone knows him at this, as this couple, but um, she doesn't know what to do. She's not good friends with a girl, but at the same time, she doesn't want to stand by and know that some other woman is possibly being abused, especially, you know, I mean, they're in 10th grade. They're, what, 16 years old? right? And so
0: I think that there's the fear that you would go to the girl and she would say, oh, it's a one-time-only situation. And that's what we're trying to put ourselves in that mindset of how you can justify it, I guess. Because I think the question that when you see it from the outside, you're like, well, how can you put up with that? Yeah, you should just leave. Obviously, she should just break up with her boyfriend and go. And I think that that's a really damaging viewpoint. We want to try and show how this cycle happens so that you would think that it was something out of the ordinary. And you need to know that if you're trying to approach someone about this situation... Because even though it makes perfect sense to you that you need to get out of that situation, I mean, think about a teen relationship. There's nothing more serious
1: or precious or worth protecting in the world than, like, your first big relationship. Absolutely, And you might get defensive, especially if it's someone you don't know very well, coming up to you and saying that, you know, your boyfriend is being abusive towards you. And even if you know that something wrong is happening, I mean, plenty of people might just, their needs your reaction might just be very defensive and say, no, what are you doing? But out of my business.
0: Right. And if you do take on that mentality of I did deserve it, you know, he did ask to see the phone. We don't know the whole story about what was going on. Yeah, I shouldn't have texted.
1: I, he's right. I shouldn't have texted that guy.
0: Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, I think that if you're trying to protect that relationship, that's how you get in that mindset. And we're not saying that that mindset is right or wrong. Just you need to know, I think, what you're up against if you're going to approach someone like this.
1: Yeah. So first, when we're talking about how to address, um, teen dating violence or dating violence in general, Molly, you um, you found a good suggestion for what uh, people, guys and girls, can do to make sure that they don't end up in a dangerous situation.
0: Yes, this comes courtesy of the Alabama Coalition Against Domestic Violence, which has a really great site about all types of domestic violence, including dating violence. And it urges teens to put up a dating safety plan. And so let's say if you're on your first date with someone, Um, consider a double date. Let everyone know where you're going and when you're going to be back. Um, you may not want to do that when you're a teen. You've got these parents who are overbearing, but it's important for your own safety for that to, for that plan to be in place and to have a trusted person you can call should the date go sour. Emily, that's a good idea. If you are a teen or you're our age. I mean, it's just, or if you're 80 and going on a first date, exactly. It's just smart. That's just smart. So everyone needs to have this dating safety plan. Now let's say you're a few dates in and, um, you're not quite sure about a guy. All these sources just urge you to trust your guy. If something doesn't seem right, even though you might not have a whole lot of experience dating, it's probably not right. But these are sort of the, um, standard warning signs that your date may eventually become abusive. Um, extreme jealousy, controlling behavior, Uh, unpredictable mood swings, alcohol and drug use, explosive anger, isolates you from friends and family, um, hypersensitive, believes in rigid sex roles, and blames others for his problems or feelings. So, you may see that, you may think, oh, it's just one part. As time goes on, and, you know, let's say you're in this relationship, you love the guy, but he still has this side of his personality. Don't let this isolation from friends and family leave you without that same person you can call when things go sour. It's really important to have at any point in a relationship someone you can call that can get you out of the situation. Um, By means, you know, immediate means just driving you away. So always have a way, always have an escape plan.
1: Yeah, because that is one, um, when when you're talking about domestic violence and kind of the... A uh, pathology of an abuser. That is one of the main ways that um, victims get trapped in that cycle. Is uh, they isolate, end up isolating themselves away from friends and family. So, like you said, in a case of an emergency, they don't have anybody to call. Yeah.
0: So always be sure you have someone to call. Um If they take your cell phone, you should always have um, change on you. Have a calling card. Have ways to get around your sort of normal ways of communication. If the person you're with starts to monitor your cell phone use, uh, mm-hmm. things like that.
1: Um, and uh, we're, we're talking about, you know, having somebody to call. And the thing is, like Molly and I can't exactly say that there's one person. You know, if you, you find yourself in a dating violence situation, there isn't one person you definitely should talk to. It's going to vary for everybody. Like some people might want to talk to their guidance counselor or their school nurse or their mom or their friend, whoever. And even in this uh, pediatric nursing article that Molly and I keep referencing, um, it mentions that girls are more likely to divulge information about this to friends, siblings, and parents, whereas boys are more likely to talk to non-family members and professionals.
0: Okay. So that's sort of the explanation of how um, the person in the situation deals with it and recognizes it but our email dealt with someone who's seeing it from the outside, and I think it's a lot easier to see from the outside, Mm -hmm.
1: but it's a lot harder to know how to approach the person about it. Yeah, so let's just talk um, for a second about some warning signs. These are from safeyouth.org, and these are some uh, warning signs that uh, someone might be in um, a violent situation. And uh, this includes, uh, do you see signs that the individual is afraid of his or her boyfriend or girlfriend? Does the boyfriend or girlfriend seem to try to control the individual's behavior, making all the decisions, checking up on behavior, acting jealous, possessive. Uh, Does the individual apologize for the boyfriend or girlfriend's behavior to you or others? Um, Has uh, the person lost interest in school and other activities? Has the person's appearance or behavior suddenly changed? Like we were talking about the link between um, uh, female abuse and eating disorders. Mm -hmm. Um, Has the individual stopped spending time with friends and family going back to that isolation factor? And has the individual recently started uh, using alcohol or drugs and seen um, sudden changes in mood. Mm -hmm. And those are all warning signs, you know, of, of that kind of relationship. But once, you know, so our listener who wrote in, she's seen, you know, what definitely seems like some pretty clear red flags about this relationship. So what does she do? How do you approach someone? Um, even someone, especially who might not be a friend of yours to say, Hey, I, I'm really worried about you. Mm hmm.
0: Well, I think that that's the best thing you can say is I'm really worried about you can't go in and I think accuse a boyfriend of something because, you know, we read about how I mean, like we've just named off all these things. Women are going to be apologizing for the behavior. Mm. They're not in a state to admit the male is wrong necessarily yet because it's so out of the ordinary. They may be making excuses. So you say, this is why I'm worried about you. Don't accuse anyone of doing anything, but say this is wrong because you know, that's not joking around. That's not a punishment for anything you did. That's inappropriate.
1: Yeah, and I think it's important before you approach someone to educate yourself about this cycle of abuse to kind of understand from the victim's perspective what is going on. Um, because uh, like right after the Chris Brown-Rihanna incident um There was obviously a lot of discussion um, among women. There were a lot of blogs that you and I checked regularly that were kind of debating this whole issue um, because right after uh, he was arrested, there was the news that they had been seen together, Mm -hmm. you know, and women were like, what is she doing with him? She should just drop him. This is absurd. Um, But the fact of the matter is with this cycle of abuse, um, it is much easier said than done to just drop somebody because of women that I know, and I do know a handful of women who have been in um, violent relationships before. They were long-term relationships. It wasn't just a couple months he started hitting her and she left. It took a while for them to first recognize the pattern of abuse and then actually be able to cut ties totally with the guy.
0: Right. So don't approach it the way some of these blogs approached this very infamous incident. Don't say, oh, you need to leave him. Just say, let's talk about this. Be very open-ended and don't be judgmental because that is just the way for someone to put the wall down. Because how, I mean, especially if you don't know the couple that well, as in this situation, it would be so easy for the girl to say, you don't understand. You don't know me. And that would be the end of it. But I think just knowing that, um,
1: someone cares for you and doesn't want, um, that wants the best for you. Yeah, even as simple as just asking if they're okay and if they ever need to talk, you know, is yeah. a very good way to open the door. And I think this Molly would be a great time for us to throw out the number for the National Domestic Violence Hotline. This is something you can call if you are in a violent relationship or if you're worried about a friend or family member or whoever who might be in a violent re- relationship, they can help you out. They're the experts. And the number to that is 1-800- 799-SAFE. And they also have um, a website, I'm sure, if you just Google national domestic violence hotline.
0: So it's very easy for Kristen and I to do all this research and to read off things about how, you know, you just go and have this very open ended conversation. It's not judgmental. You just tell them you're concerned about their safety. Um, But I personally have never been in the situation where I tried to have this conversation. Yeah. And I think it's one of those things where reading everything you can in the world, is not going to prepare you for being in that situation. So we want to hear from people who have been in the situation. Um, not necessarily the abuse side, but maybe what did you do if you saw a friend in an uncomfortable situation? Was there any tip that you can give us that actually does make a difference? Mm-hmm. And what we'll do, of course, we'll keep everything anonymous. But Kristen and I have a blog, how-to stuff, and we would like to eventually do a post, how to talk to a friend who's in a dating violence situation. So let us know what should be in that blog. What are the good tips? Where this is concerned, what are the useless tips? What's helpful to know about this cycle of violence, what hit home and
1: what didn't. Yeah, we wanna we wanna call real world information to help um other people out there in this situation because the reason why we should talk about dating violence um is because it happens a lot and not enough people are addressing it.
0: Right. And if you know, I hope no one saw the topic and thought, oh, what an old retread, you know, people get abused, they should leave, it's bad. I mean why we should talk about it is because, especially if you're a teen, it's just so hard to recognize the difference between joking around, as we said, and a real
1: violent, dangerous situation. Yeah. And it happens, happens more than you think. Yeah. So if you have any uh, questions or comments um, about any of this, uh, please feel free to give, send me and Molly an email at momstuffandhowstuffworks.com. And we uh, always make sure to respect anonymity, especially in um, more private, uh, issues like this and as always you can head over to our blog during the week to check out what we're writing on it's called how to stuff and um, you can also go and educate yourself more on a variety of topics including how jealousy works which is one of the behavioral factors that can lead into domestic and dating violence at howstuffworks.com for more on this and thousands of other topics visit howstuffworks.com Want more works? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Hey, Sarah, I loved that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours, and all content is fully (laughs) human-moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today.
0: Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80.